my mother told me a story that happened in the 40s in Greenfield, England. And on the wall of the school that was right up the road from there on the Mill Lane where my grandmother and grandmother lived, there was a school at the top of the hill. And on the outside of the school, there was an old clock, metal hands, and it's matter of fact, it's probably still there today. And the week of Christmas, someone, I guess they had enough of that clock, and they got up there on the side of the wall, and they bent the hands so that it wouldn't work any longer. And it was quite the talk of the village, and people were upset about it, and they were trying to figure out who did it. Well, before Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, they had the service, and the vicar at the end of the service said, I hope that whoever broke the school clock chokes on their Christmas dinner. So, leg of lamb, mashed potatoes, mush peas, Yorkshire pudding. They're having Christmas dinner at my grandparents' house. My mother's there. She's a young girl, and my Aunt Shirley is there, my Uncle Terry, of course, and and, uh, other family are there, and they're eating their dinner, and Willie, my grandfather, started choking. (laughs) Now, I don't believe that Willie would have done that. I don't believe he did, but he, they all said, pointed him and said, oh no, Papa, you broke the clock at the school. And so everyone in town heard that story and thought that he broke the clock. After the service today, a lot of work has gone into our chili eating time, our chili cook-off. And if you don't come and participate, when you're eating Christmas dinner, (laughs) you might choke on your Christmas dinner. Why Jesus came, that's been our topic for the last few Sundays. We know that Jesus came to do the will of the Heavenly Father. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring light to a dark world. We live in a dark world. And if there was not Jesus bringing light, it would be even darker. There's no way that you can run this number that I'm about to give you or this idea that I'm about to give you that if Jesus had not come and man was left to his own ways and means, then this world would be really, really dark. And you might look at this and say, well, man, this world is dark. I mean, in Israel, they killed babies. They killed children. You know, that's evil. Of course it's evil. We have seen genocide. We have seen, you know, all the wars. We, We hear about them, the genocides, the tragedies that take place. He said, how can this world get any darker? If Jesus had not come into the world, it would be a lot darker. And the fact that Jesus came in the world and he is spreading his light to believers, there is a governor on evil in our world. Now, I don't know what number you'd give it. I don't know if it's 60% better, 50% better. I, I have no way of knowing that. It's almost like, do seatbelts keep you from dying? Well, you know, if you wear a seatbelt, 
you didn't get a wreck. It's hard to figure that out. That always blows my mind. I just like that it goes on forever and ever and ever in space. I go, that blows my mind. But this world would be increasingly dark if Jesus hadn't come. He came to bear witness to the truth. He came to give eternal life. Jesus came to bring great joy. He came to preach the good news. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And of course, he came, as we heard Bessie Ann share today in the word that she read from John chapter 1, Jesus came to reveal God's glory. And, and if, if, you, if you wear glasses, you understand what I'm talking about. I take my glasses off and, and you're all fuzzy. You're all fuzzy. Say, so do you believe in God? He's fuzzy to me. I'm not quite sure, but I put my glasses on and you're not as fuzzy. Now the lights get in the way, but you're not quite as fuzzy out there. And because Jesus came, we have a better picture of God because of Jesus. And if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That's how we learn what God is like. So there's two more reasons and a good exercise here in 1 John chapter 3 about why Jesus came. Verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That's a good exercise. Every single day, that'll, that'll, that'll brighten your life. That will help you. That'll strengthen you. That'll, that'll really help you in your eyesight, spiritual eyesight, to see God, to see clearly who God is and what he's doing. And, and it'll increase faith, I believe. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Man, he lavished us with love. There's not a greater picture of love than Jesus coming into the world sinless, never did anything wrong. And he went to the cross and he died for us. Remember, Caiaphas prophesied, we talked about last week, it's prudent. It makes sense that one would die for everyone else. Well, Jesus died for everyone else. And then the rest of chapter uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3 here, you see some of the aspects of how great his love is. It says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children. What a, that, now that right there is a tremendous result of God's love. But God gives us power to become sons of God. Through faith, this is God's love. This is a result of God's love. Through faith, we are God's children. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's, a, there's still a growing about what we're going to be. But when Jesus returns, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Now, what it means to be like him, of course, we will not be God but we will be in that eternal world and we can see what his creation was all about. And when we keep our hope in him, it says in verse 3, in him it purifies himself. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so 
verses 1 through 3 speak to us about justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, we are right with God as we are. We are right with God and as if we've never been wrong with God because of his love. How great is the Father's love for us? It is so great that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we see that, that we are changing, and we're going to continue to change until the Lord returns. We're becoming more and more like Jesus through faith. And, and of course, we are glorified. We are going to find that place that God has prepared for us, planned for us, in eternal life on the other side and will be what he wants us to be. And then in verse 4 through 7, look what it says in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Now, before we talk about that a little bit, we need to talk about this. Only Jesus is perfect. The Bible never says that we are to strain for perfection Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay? Now that word perfect is a word that means complete. All right? So when it says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, the Father is perfect in heaven, but on this side of eternity, because of sin, we will never reach perfection. And it's unrealistic to think that we'll reach perfection but we, we will learn, we will grow to be dependent on him. So when our Heavenly Father thinks about what he wants from us, he wants complete trust, complete loyalty, devotion. He, he wants us to be dependent on him. That's why it speaks so much about the father-child relationship that we enjoy through faith in Christ. So... Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So how do you know that you're in the Lord? How do you know that you're born again? How do you know? One of the ways that you know that you truly are a child of God is because before Christ, you practiced sin. You, you, you made the most of it. You labored to sin. You practiced lawlessness, right? But then Jesus comes to your life, and you no longer practice sin. You no longer practice lawlessness. You, 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 there's been a break in the process, a break in the chains. And, and as you grow in Christ, you sin less. You still sin, but you sin less. You are more devoted to Christ. You are more devoted to spiritual things, and you no longer practice sinning. Because the chains have been broken. The bondage has been broken. And, and the height of the bondage being broken that Jesus does when, when he comes in our life is that he appeared, in other words, Jesus came, he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Take away sins. Think about what it means that Jesus has taken away our sins. Guilt is taken away. Guilt's taken away. And if you're experiencing guilt because of your past sins, after confessing and repenting of your sin, it's unnecessary. He's not holding your sin over your head. 
we're the ones that are digging that sin up and reminding ourselves of that sin. Guilt is taken away. The penalty of sin is taken away. We have total forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He came to take away our sins. Psalm says to throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. Those are two points going in opposite directions, never to meet. And we have a righteous position in him. Righteous. The righteousness of Christ in us. Everyone who makes a practice sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him. To abide means to stay in, to rest in, to follow, to be surrendered to him, to be obedient to him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. There's a change that happens. At some point, there's a change. And, and you know that you're a believer, a child of God, when you can go back and you say, there was a change that began at this point in my life when I received Christ, and, and I see that that change is progressing. That's a clear-cut sign of being one of God's children. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Man, little children, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. He came to take away our sins. That's a big deal. That's something to celebrate at Christmas. What it means to take away our sins is we are righteous. We practice righteous because we are righteous. We no longer practice lawlessness because we are no longer longer lawless. We're not like that anymore. It's what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus came to take away our sins. And then we look at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Jesus taught that, right? Jesus says, we're either with him or against him. If we're not of him, we're of the devil. There's no in-between place. We're either the Lord's or we're Satan's. That's clear in Scripture. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I remember life before Christ. No thoughts of God. No conviction of wrong. No real understanding of right or wrong. It was always what was best for me. The only time I ever felt bad about doing something wrong is if I got caught. If I didn't get caught, lost no sleep, no problem, all good. It didn't matter what it was. I, I just didn't think about God. Now, I was within the boundaries of the law most of the time, but I was really careful with those things. There was a, a few things that took place in my younger days that probably could have got me in a bad spot, but my dad was a city marshal of San Angelo. And with it came some benefits. And those benefits was that if a policeman caught me doing something that wasn't the right thing to do at the time, he got a phone call, and they didn't put me in the car and take me off to the Hooskow. But dealing with my dad was 
was like being in prison, but no, no, no record that you can find. Because I was practicing sin and didn't know not to practice sin. Now, if you have people in your life, family members, things like that, that are practicing sin, you can preach morality to them. You'll make it worse. You'll make it worse. Preach morality. So just If you only talk to them about what they should do differently, if you only talk to them about, you know, changing their life, you are, you are heaping a burden on them. Because they don't know the difference if, if they are not in Christ. If they're just going to practice sin. Whoever makes a practice sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so in Satan, we are going to sin. We're going to practice sin. So if you have a loved one that is practicing sinning, it's the gospel that you need to share with them. It's the only hope of life change is sharing Jesus with them because they're going to practice sin and, and you may be able to make them change a little bit so that you're not disappointed with them in their mind. But until that sin issue is dealt with, they are, they're not going to have a choice. They are going to return and return and return. Remember the scripture that says the dog returns to his vomit? That's what that means. You remember the story that Jesus told about the demons that lived in the house? And the demons are kicked out. The house is cleaned up. It's restored. And, and, and when the demons return, it's worse. Well, that is morality. That is religion. That is re re rules without coming to Christ. That's what that scripture is about. So share the good news. If you have a friend or a loved one that's practicing sin, I wouldn't even deal with being the judge in their life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be cynical with them. I, I just would just share Christ with them over and over and over because it's your only choice. Because they're going to do who they are. Just like we do who we are in Christ, we do who we are in Satan. That's what that scripture says to me. Whoever makes a practice sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. Now, of all the reasons why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil may not be the most uplifting of truths we have at Christmas time. But it I'm not so sure it's not the best one. I'm not so sure it's not the most important one for life. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Now, it's clear what the works of Satan is. Satan wants us to remain in unbelief. No question about that. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see God. So Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. 
Satan's works, Satan's strategy, Satan's wiles is to promote unbelief. Unbelief. He also promotes sin. He's really good at it, isn't he? I mean, it really does blow my mind when I hear people saying that there is no such thing as sin. I just want to say, how, how blind are you that there's no such thing as sin in our world? There's lots of sin. Sin doesn't stay the way it is. It grows. It, it, it increases. It multiplies. And we see that all the time. Just to look at a broad picture of society today. Jesus came to destroy the works of of the devil. There are some things that I think Satan is doing today that you might think about. Now, this is primarily towards believers. Satan's temptation on believers. Uh, Satan's pestering believers. This is one. Focus on what you think the scripture says and not what the scripture says. That's a big one today. All he's got to do is get us a little off. All he's got to do to, to get us to question some things that Scripture says. We see that happening all the time. People will begin churches today based on certain sins being explained away. Come to our church. We accept everybody. We love everybody. We, we believe that God loves everyone exactly the way they are, even in, quote, these certain sins. And it's okay to practice those sins. And the focus is on what you think the scripture says and not what the scripture actually says. When you're in small groups, one of the worst questions to ask people is, what do you think about this? Because people, if, they're not, if you're not careful, people will tell you what they think about this scripture. And, and it's not about what we think about the scripture. It's about what the scripture actually says. And, and the scripture here says that if we're in Satan, we will continue to practice sinning. That's what the scripture says. Another thing that, that Satan is at work today, and Jesus came to defeat those works, is it can't be outweighs it has to be. It can't be the Lord. It can't be true. It can't be that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It has to be that way. It can't be pluralism. It just can't be. Why in the world would God the Father send his son in the world to die that horrible death on the cross if any way of belief is okay? It can't be that way. I mean, you have to throw out all of the scripture to get there. And, and, and the Satan is so shrewd with this. He's saying to people today, it can't be outweighs it has to be. And, and, and people are getting stuck at it can't be. It can't be true. Well, from my perspective, it has to be true. And Satan, he, he, he's a good road jammer. He, he's a good wedger. You know, it says in Ephesians, be careful, don't get Satan a foot in your door. And I think about a wedge, and, and a salesman comes to your door, and he opens the door, and you don't want to buy that, and you start to close the door, and he sticks his foot between the jam and the door, so you can't close the door. Satan does that. He's always got a foot in the door, if we're not careful. And I think this may be one of the, the, 
the biggest strategy of Satan today. Blessings are better than the blesser. The road to idolatry is this. Blessings are better than the blesser. And the, the, the blessing is worshipped and not the blesser. Oh, he's so shrewd with that one. I mean, you can worship Christmas and not Jesus. You can worship the gift giving, not Jesus. You can worship the family experience of Christmas and not Jesus. Burn your turkey and, and you'll find out who's worshiping Christmas and not Jesus. You have that mindset, our Christmas must be perfect. You're worshiping memories more than Jesus. And there's a struggle with that. Something to be considered. Are you worshiping Jesus or are you worshiping something that Jesus provides? That's what you got to think about. Because when blessings are better than the blesser, it's idolatry. That's what it is. And certainly I think one of his, one of his strategies, one of his ways, wiles, is to cause his, the children of the Lord, to be more concerned of what people think than what God thinks of you. Be more concerned with what people think of you than what God thinks of you. Jesus came to destroy all that. And most important, number one, Jesus came to destroy the works of sin in this world. You see, because of what Jesus did, it gives us the power to believe that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. You see, because Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, it is crystal clear that every salvation experience is a miracle. Because there's lots of adversarial effort to keep people from believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, I think that one of the works of Satan is to minimize the miracle of belief. See if you can follow along with me. Someone accepts Christ when they're 17 years old, go off to college, grow a little bit in college, right? Have children, going through life, building their family, building their world and all those kind of things. And then one day they're sitting in a Sunday school class. And the Sunday school teacher says, why don't today everyone share their testimony about how good God has been to you? And that person just shrinks. Ugh. Don't like speaking out. You know, religion is a private thing. I don't speak about those personal matters. I don't get all emotional. I'm not going to let all these people hear. I don't trust them. I'm not going to let them know that what I feel deeply about inside. When it comes to their time to share, you know what they say? They say, I don't have a testimony to share. Well, Satan has done a great work in that believer's life. A great work. If you've accepted Jesus Christ you've been born again, 
you are one of God's children. Man, you have a testimony, and it's a cotton-picking miracle. It is a miracle. It is a miracle of all miracles. It's a parting of the Red Sea. It is a knock in the, wa the rock and water comes out. It's manna and quail in the desert miracle. It's Jesus walking on the water miracle. You have a miraculous testimony. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe that he's the Messiah and the Lord of all. That is a miracle that you believe because Satan, his primary job, how he sees his role, what he's about, what he hates the most is people believing in Jesus. So, Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. He came to destroy the enemy's work to keep people from believing in God's dear son. That's what hurts God the most. And that's what Satan's after, to get people not to believe that Jesus is the Lord of all. Verses 9 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, miracle. I know me. I know my flesh. I know my difficulties. I, I know what I've experienced. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. I want, to, I want to, to live a righteous life. That's a miracle. In our flesh, we practice sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the, the result of the miracle is this. The works of Satan has been destroyed. You want to serve God. You want to live a holy life. You want, to, you want to please him. And you no longer live to please yourself, but you live to please Jesus. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. So you know you're saved. You know you're a child of God. You know that you have experienced the miracle of belief and, and salvation has happened to you when you just don't practice sin anymore. You can't help but practice doing the things you know God wants you to do. And that's where you are. You may have a long way to go. You may have a lot of hurdles to hurdle. But that's where you are. You can rejoice over that. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So that's a very interesting ending to that train of thought there for us. The first thing we're going to do after we learn to love God, we believe in God, we love the brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, the, the book of 1 John is all about knowing you're a child of God. And in this passage, we see how great the love of God is. We see that, that Jesus came to take away our sins. And we see that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And so, this is how you know if you have applied what Jesus came to do in your life. 
you no longer practice sin. You don't sin like you used to. There's been a change that's happened. You believe in Jesus. And you love. You love believers. You growing in love for believers. That's how you know that you're in the Lord. Satan would want you to believe that it has to be this way in your life because of who you are. Jesus would want you to believe it doesn't matter who you are, it's who you're going to be when you're surrendered to me. May the Lord work in our life today. Father, I pray that this Christmas season that, Lord, we will be able to fully celebrate the beauty, the miracle, the wonder of Jesus becoming a man for us. And Lord, I just can't stop thinking about the idea. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.